consisting of the six chapters from 7 to 12 discusses what they call Tatpada discusses the nature of Ishvara and it also includes discussion of nature of the Jagat or the creation so this section of the second six chapters talks about Ishvara God and the means of Knowing him is bhakti, the devotion, and the one who wants to know, the bhakta or the devotee. So God, devotee and devotion, these three are the subject matter of these six chapters beginning from seven up to the chapter twelve. And therefore, there is also the subject matter of this seventh chapter which we are going to discuss. The seventh chapter has a connection with the concluding portion of the sixth chapter. The conclusion is called Upasamhara and the beginning is called Upakrama. Upakrama means commencement or beginning. Upasamhara means conclusion. And it is a style of the scripture that there should be a connection between what just went by and what follows. So, in the last verse, or sixth chapter, Lord Krishna said, Yoginam api sarvesham madgate nantaratmana shadhavan bhajate omam same yukta tamomataha. Even before that, Lord Krishna said, Tasmad yogi bhavarjuna. Here, Arjuna, therefore, you become a yogi. Tapasvibhyo dhiko yogi jnani bhyo vimato dhikaha. Karmi bhyasyadhiko yogi tasmad yogi bhavarjuna. Here, Juna, yogi is best among all. Tapasvi bhyodhiko yogi. He is superior to or better than just a tapasvi. Tapasvi is the one who is given to penance and austerities. So, a yogi is better than the one who is given to penance or austerity. Jnani bhyo vimatodhikaha. A yogi is said to be even better, superior to a jnani or an informed person, a knowledgeable person, or what we call a scholar. Karmibhyasyadhiko yogi, a yogi is superior to karmi, a person who is given to karma or actions. Tasmad yogi bhavarjuna, therefore may become a yogi. Who is this yogi? He is superior to tapasvi or a person following austerities and parents. Superior to a jnani, person who is pursuing knowledge. Superior to a karmi, person who is pursuing karma. Now what else do we do? What is this yoga other than either karma or jnana? For what is meant by yogi is nearly may you become a yogi, may you become a bhakta, may you become a devotee. 
Let there be bhakti of the devotion in whatever you do. Upanishad also says, explaining what is meant by bhakti. Upanishad says, Yame vai shavrunate tena labhya Who attains the knowledge of the self? Who attains the self? Who attains God? In fact, who attains any desired end in life? If God is the desired end in our life, who is the one who will attain Him? Yame vai shavrunate Whoever chooses him, whoever chooses God, is the one who gets him. Before a devotee like this, or a sadhaka like this, the Lord reveals his own self. Upanishad says that the Lord reveals his own self to a devotee for whom, or the devotee, the one, who has chosen the Lord. Meaning that for whom the Lord is the most important, who wants nothing other than the Lord in his life, for a person like that, Lord reveals himself. Or the one who has chosen the self. To that one, the self reveals his nature. <coughs> and therefore, what is meant by bhakti? What is meant by devotion is choosing something. So devotion to Lord would mean that we have chosen the Lord as the very goal of our life. When He becomes the most important thing in our life. When everything else becomes subservient and then He is the most important. Thus, if that is the destination, if this is what we have chosen, then when the destination is chosen, then the path you take is the one that leads to destination. And while traveling on that path, you make the choices which, which will be such as to lead to destination. So just as when we are, we are performing a journey, how the goal of the destination is always in our mind, and whatever you do is all determined by what the destination is. When you leave, start from Rishikesh, going to let's say Badrinath, then that Badrinath is always in the mind. You're always meditating on that understanding. So when you plan your, your tour, even when you are in Bombay or a place like that, the purpose is Badrinath. When to go, Swamiji, what's the best time to go? Says, well, or when they are in the United States, they ask, Swamiji, what's the best time to go? Go in the second half of September. Why, Swamiji? So because the rains are all over and all landslides are over, the atmosphere is very clear, the vacations are over and there is no, not much rush. It gets a little cooler, but since you go from United States, there's no problem. Okay, so time is chosen. All vacation, lot of arrangement has to be done. You don't get a vacation in United States just like that, you know. And so, it's one year of planning. Lot of planning goes behind that. And what to take from here, what not to take, and then contact Rishikesh, arrange for transportation. And So, whatever we do has one purpose, Badrinath, Badrinath. And when he set out for the actual journey from Rishikesh also then, the road that is taken, every turn that is made, whatever you do, has that in your mind. That means that constantly the mind is as though meditating upon or maintaining a stream of thought of Badrinath. And that is devotion. Lord Krishna says in the 8th chapter, Tasmat Sarveshu Kaleshu Mamanusmara Yudhyacha. Arjuna, therefore, you remember me all the time while performing your day-to-day activities. And what happens by remembering him? By maintaining that thought flow, it is the nature of our mind to become whatever it is that it thinks. As the mind, so the man it is saying. And therefore, what we think of our mind, what kind of thought flow the mind entertains is extremely important. Because at any time, we are what our thoughts are. Therefore, and, and Lord Krishna says, if at the time of leaving this body, departing from this body, if you depart with the idea of me, if you think of me, then you attain me. Or, yam yam vapismaran bhavam tejatyande kalevaram, with whatever thought a person departs from this body, that is what he becomes. 
Meaning that question is asked sometimes, Swamiji, what happens to the person after he departs from this body? Always this question is satsang. But what ha- it is not important, I mean, it is not what happens to him after he departs. What he has made of himself, human is here. So what happens to me after I depart is not arbitrarily decided. It is decided based on the kind of life that I have lived here. And Lord Krishna says that whatever be the last thought that you have at the time of departure, that determines your destiny. But what will be my last thought? Do I have the freedom to determine what my last thought will be when I leave here? We try. That's why we blow, you know, in years we tell him, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, 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 Hare, or we chant, etc., hoping that he will hear, and that thought will occur in the mind of the person who is departing, and thus his destination will be, will be determined. But that is not that easy. I have no choice in determining what my thought will be when I am dying. Just as I have no choice in determining what my dream will be when I go to sleep, Otherwise, everybody will dream, well, they will have a sweet dream, that's what everybody will have. And maybe you will not want to wake up also, I mean, the dream world is so wonderful. <laughs> but, unfortunately, we don't have that freedom. It is some powerful thought in the mind that determines what the thinking pattern will be at the time of dream, and that determines what the dream will be. So. What the thought will be at the time of dream, you can say, is determined by the kind of thought that we are entertaining when we are when we are wakeful. So if you are careful about what thoughts we entertain when we are awake, then we need not worry about what thought will be when we are sleeping because this, the, the pattern and the trend that is set into motion by our thinking will automatically continue. And so it becomes very important. What is meant by devotion is when the mind is centered or focused upon a certain objective. That is called the devotion. Shraddhavan labhadegnanam tatparha to one who is dedicated. So one who is committed. So devotion means dedication, commitment. And therefore Upanishad says that the one who chooses the Lord. What is meant by choosing the Lord is when Lord or God is is recognized by me as the goal of my life and the only goal, not one of the things that He has played right now is one of the things. For half an hour in the morning, well, God is the time. In the evening also He gets some time. That's about all. The rest of the time is devoted to other things. It is not a matter of devoting the rest of the time to other things. But then we have many other Swamiji, we have a lot of other things to do. You know. Why don't you regularly come to the classes? Swamiji has so many other things. You know, how many guests come and this come and that. So lots of agenda we have. What is meant by choosing him is when he becomes the only agenda in our life. And that happens when we have vivek our proper discernment in our life as to what it is that we are seeking in our life. If we give a thought to that, then we recognize that what we are seeking is what we call God. That's our definition of God. Vedanta is no difficulty in proving that God is really proving, actually. Simple proof is that, is God there, Swami? Yes. How do you say? Because you are there. Do any doubt that there is God? That you are there? I have no doubt then there is no doubt that God is. But even before that, if we draw the person's attention to what do you want in your life, when you keep on asking this question, ultimately it will become very clear that all he wants is just happiness. That's all he wants. Even though in the beginning he may come up with saying that he wants this kind of wealth and he wants this power, position, name, fame, or these are the kind of things that he thinks he wants. When we ask, so what? Then what? And then what? If you keep on pressing this, then what? Then perhaps the answer will become clear. Otherwise we just have, we just, you know, think of what next and nothing beyond. Like this dialogue that Swami Vivekananda had with this young man. When Swami was traveling from India to United States in, in a ship, 
and he came across this young man. In fact, did not come across, he caught hold of him. He was avoiding him. Swamiji was quite well known. People would go and have satsang with this person who was avoiding him. So, two, three days Swami Vivekananda saw this and then he approached him and caught hold of him. What is your name? Where you are going? Go to United States. Uh, what's your plan? I'm going to become a doctor. And then what? And then um, I'll start my practice. Then what? Then I'll build up my practice. Then what? Then I'll earn money. Yeah. Then what? Then I will have a house. Then what? Then I will have a car. Then what? Then I'll get married. Then what? Then I will also have a son. Then what? Then I'll send him to medical school also. Then what? <laughs> he, he had not given a great deal of thought his own life. He just thought he's going... All he could think of was the next step. But Swami made him think, then, then what? And then what? Then I'll grow old, then what? I'll retire, then what? I'll return to India, then what? I'll settle in India, then what? And he got fed up with this question, then what and then what? What do you mean then what? Then I'll die. <laughs> so, is that the goal? Not then what? That's all you're doing it for? I mean, all of these you're doing just to die? They realized that there was, there, was, there was no understanding, no clarity about what the life is about, what for, for it is. It cannot be just for dying, as Swami says that death cannot be the goal of our life, because we need not have been born. Death means that going out of, you know, be, becoming unmanifest, that I already was before I was born, and therefore that cannot be the life, goal of life. Even heavens also cannot be the goal of life. Because we need not come here, we can go directly there. The fact that we are here on the earth, we have a human body, there must be some goal. And, as you will explain, the goal is of course to grow, but then as we think, then what? What is it that I am searching for, seeking through all of this? His answer is very simple, all I want is just happiness. Swami, I just want peace, I just want happiness. How much happiness? Again, boundless happiness. No, I, if I had my way, if I had my way, I would not want any restriction to my happiness. Boundless happiness. With no boundaries, no conditions attached, unconditional. At all the time, at all the places, under all conditions. No strings attached. So boundless, unconditional happiness. That's what I want. Call it happiness, call it peace, call it love, call it whatever you will. Freedom. And not only I want, everybody wants it, every human being wants it. And that goal is always there. Behind everything that we do, that is the objective. But it is not discerned by us. A happiness is called ananda. If I want it all the time, happiness that does not go away, it, it never... It is indestructible, that happiness that does not change. That's the kind of happiness I want. And that ananda should be sat or always existing. We'll give you a big injection and then you will be in coma and you'll enjoy that happiness, you know. I don't want that. I want to know that I'm enjoying happiness. I want to be aware. I want to awarefully enjoy the happiness. So I want awareness also. I want chit as well. Not just ananda. I want ananda all the time. That means all time existing, that is called Sat. And I want to be aware that I am experiencing that Chit. So Satchit Ananda is what I want. And that is the definition of God as far as Vedanta is concerned. What's the definition of God? Satyam Jnanam Anandam Brahma. As Swami said, people say that I don't believe in God. Or some people say I believe in God. But if there is a clarity about what is meant by God and then when I say I believe or I don't believe, then it's okay. But God as defined by Upanishad is Satyam Jnanam Anantam Brahman. Brahman or God or Ishvara is Satyam. He is ever truthful, ever existing, changeless. Jnanam, his awareness, his knowledge, his intelligence. Anantam, his boundless, limitless, Ananda. So, Satchit Ananda is the nature of Brahman, is the nature of God. When someone says, I don't believe in God, then perhaps he does not believe in God in heavens, 
Oh, he doesn't believe in God having four arms and some so many legs and so many you know heads and things like that. In that kind of a God, he may not believe. So, whatever kind of an impression is given about God, he may have a problem with that. So, people have a problem with God of the kind of con- concept they have of the God. But nobody can say that I do not believe in existence because I exist. I cannot say I do not believe in consciousness because I am conscious. I cannot say I do not believe in happiness because I am seeking happiness. Asad neva sabhavati, asad Upanishad says that one who says I do not accept God or I do not accept, believe in God or do not accept God who does not believe in existence of God himself becomes non-existent. Meaning that his life has no purpose at all. The only purpose with which we are born is what we call Satyam, Jnana, call it Brahman, call it God, call it Ishvara, call it what you will. And that is the only purpose. When I deny that purpose means life has no purpose at all. So thus when we understand that what we are seeking in our life, knowing or unknowing, just one thing, and that is Brahman, that is Ananda, that is limitlessness, that is freedom, that is wholeness, that is completeness, and that is what I want, and that I cannot settle for anything less than that. All my pain or sorrow arises when I find myself a limited being, and therefore limitedness or bound, bound, bound you know, bound, uh, being bound, I cannot accept. There is a natural love for freedom, and thus there is natural love for God, as God defined by Vedanta. But then Swami, how about God that is... Uh, Chatur with four arms and then uh, what about that? Same thing. It's just representation. Since it is difficult for us to be able to fix our mind on Brahman which is not a tangible principle and therefore a tangible form. Our name is given to us so that we can, we can fix our mind on that and thus this enables us to maintain that thought flow in our mind. So that is a, that is a prop that is given to us. That's a stepping stone. What we call Saguna Brahma, or Lord with Guna, Lord with attributes, is also right, and that becomes the ultimately a stepping stone for knowing the Lord who transcends all the attributes. So that's the process Bhagavad Gita presents before us. It's first worship of Lord with attributes. As we'll see in the seventh chapter, there is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Worshipping that Lord. First step is worshipping that Lord. And second step is knowing that Lord as one's own self. <coughs> so this understanding of what it is that we are seeking in our life, that we are all sadhakas, you know, number one. As, even as we are born, we are all seekers. Sadhakas. And there is a sadhya that there is a goal or objective which is already there. <coughs> and if that becomes clear, then we'll automatically recognize that we are devotees. It is not that we have to become devotees. We are devotees to recognize that we are devotees. As it is, each one of us is always devoted to something. You know, everybody is devotee. That's why they call him bhakta. His patni bhakta, for example, devoted to his wife. Or artha bhakta, devoted to wealth, devoted to something, devoted to name. People are working hard to achieve that goal. They are devoted. Is it not that when you go to medical school and work day and night to become a doctor and then go for residency again, work day and night and again? What an amount of work, what a dedication. It is devotion. You will not use the word devotion for that, but it is dedication, it is a commitment. And everything else becomes subservient, that is the primary goal at that time. And nothing else can disturb you from that. If going to a movie helps you read, study better, then you'll go. If it comes in the way, then you will not. So, when a goal is chosen, then you do whatever it is that will help your goal. If you're an athlete, for example, and then you're working for becoming a swimming champion in Olympics, swimming champion from the age five, you see the life of these people. Whatever they do is just dedicated for just one goal. What is done, is done for that goal. What is not done, also because that goal is to be reached. 
So whatever helps in reaching that goal is done. Whatever comes in the way is given up. That is called dedication. That is called devotion. So we are not unfamiliar with what is meant by devotion. Each one of us has a devotion. So what is important is to recognize that through all of these, what we are seeking ultimately is Brahmani, Satyam, Jnana, Manantam. That is what we are seeking. Then all that devotion becomes then the devotion to God. Then we become devotees in the real sense of the word. When Ishvara becomes the most important one. Understand that at any time, I am a devotee of that which I consider as the most important. What is most important keeps on changing. That's a different thing. When I am a student, then just getting my degree is the most important. When I have that, getting the job is the most important. When I have that, my promotion is most important. Some, this what is most important keeps on changing. But if you recognize, and sooner we recognize, then all our energies and all our endeavors become directed. They gain a direction. That what we are seeking is Satyam, Jnanam, Anandam, Brahma. That what we are seeking is Ishvara. When that understanding comes then, he is chosen. Then I become a devotee. So, whoever chooses him. So, choosing is called devotion. Whether say devotees we are, but the discerning in our life as to what it is that we want, will then make us understand that he is the most important one. He is the only important one. That's the goal behind all the goals. Desire behind all the desires. And then I become a devotee. <coughs> what is meant by... Who is a devotee? Is the one in whose mind that train of thought all the time is maintained. Just as when the destination is very clear, then when I'm performing the journey, the thought of destination is always there in my mind. Always the thought of destination is there, whether you are overtly thinking about it or not, but it's always there. And so also when I recognize that Ishwara is the destination of my life, then that thought will always be there. So whatever I do is done for that. Like a person who is a devotee, whatever a devotee does, only does for that. He goes to sleep, he says the reason why I am sleeping is so that in the morning I wake up fresh and thus then I can perform my prayers and worship. He eats the food so that he, his body is, is, has energy to be able to do that. He doesn't eat too much because then, you know, then he will feel uh, lazy. He doesn't eat too little because then he will not have enough energy. Whatever he does, he, he takes bath also for that purpose. Goes to sleep for that purpose. Yadyat karma karomi tattadakhilam shambho tavaradhanam says, O Lord, please grant that whatever I do becomes your aradhanam. Whatever I do becomes your worship. <coughs> when I go to sleep, let it become the samadhi. When I am enjoying the objects of the world, let it become your worship. When I am walking, let it become your production. When I am speaking, let it become your, your praise. So this is how God permeates in everything that the devotee does. So devotee is the one who is totally dedicated to God, just as a devotee of any other object he also is totally dedicated. <coughs> so this is what Lord Krishna wants to teach us in these six chapters. And as we said, that is what is meant by yogi. Tasmad yogi bhavarjuna. Here Juna therefore become a yogi, become a bhakta, become a devotee, recognize that I am the goal. And then if you perform your tapasthira or penance, let, let me be the objective. If you are pursuing knowledge, let me be the objective. If you are performing actions, let me be the objective. The Swamiji, whoever pursues knowledge, will naturally have objective as God. Not necessarily. We can pursue knowledge, we can also study the scriptures, become scholars, then a scholar need not be a devotee. A scholar can give wonderful talks and, you know, all of this he can do. It can be a profession also. It need not be a devotee. Even I may be performing the act of worship. That also need not be devotee. That also can be my occupation. I can be singing bhajans and things like that. That also can be not. There are many people singing so many bhajans. It's not necessarily that they are devotees. You have to look at their private life as to how they are and that, that you know. 
So, idea is that it, it, it is not the form that Nestle decides, but devotion spirit that goes behind the form. The form is important to invoke the spirit, but ultimately, devotion is the spirit. Tasmad yogi bhavarjuna. That bhavarjuna may become a yogi, may become a devotee, may recognize that I am the goal of your life. And therefore, whatever you do, let this be clear to you in whatever you do. Perform the action, also for my sake. Perform your penance, also for my sake. And says Lord Krishna in the 9th chapter, whatever you do, yat karoshi, yat dashnasi, yat juhoshi, dadasyat, yat tapasasi kaunteya, tat kurushva, madarpanam. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you give in charity, whatever you offer as oblations, whatever penance you perform, all of that, you do in such a manner that it becomes an offering to me. So this is the devotion that Lord Krishna wants to teach. And that requires that we should understand the nature of God, we should understand the nature of devotion, understand the nature of devotee as well. And so this is the subject matter of these chapters and the subject matter of the seventh chapter also. So tasmad yogi bhavarjuna. The sixth chapter concluded with this statement that may you become a yogi. And then the very last verse of the sixth chapter was, Yogina Sarvesham, among all the yogis also, who is the most exalted yogi? Shraddhavan bhajate yomam, one who worships me with all the shraddha. Madgatena antaratmana, with a mind that is totally fixed on me. With a mind totally focused on me, with all the faith, the one who worships me is, in my opinion, the most exalted devotee, most exalted yogi. So, this statement raises certain questions. Lord, you say that, wish I should be worshipping you. What is meant by you? What is the nature of God whom I am supposed to worship? Madgatena antaratmana. You say that my mind should be focused on Lord. How to focus my mind? How to worship you? So who are you to whom I am supposed to worship? And that worship involves that my mind should be focused on you. How do I focus my mind? And how do I worship you? All these questions arise. So the last verse of the sixth chapter would raise these various questions in the mind of the one who listens, and in answer to this question is the whole six chapters, beginning from seven to the twelve. <clears throat> so, in, when it comes to devotion or worship, then shraddha becomes most important. When it comes to pursuit of jnana or knowledge, vairagya becomes most important. When it comes to worshipping, shraddha becomes most important. For pursuing knowledge, we need a mind which enjoys vairagya, a freedom from ragadveshas, a mind that is contemplative, a mind that enjoys a certain focus, a mind which can be turned away from everything else and focused upon the very self. In case of devoting, in case of devotion of the Lord, the mind can entertain the thoughts, because in worshipping you can serve the Lord, but there what is most important is shraddha. So, Shraddhavan Bhajadayavam, Shraddha means faith, or Shraddha means trust. So, Shraddha is most important in worshipping Lord. So, with this background, now we will see how the Lord Krishna, in fact, begins the seventh chapter with his own discourse, with his own statement. <coughs> it's interesting that the seventh chapter begins with the statement, Sri Bhagavan Avata, the Blessed Lord said. But the sixth chapter also concluded with this statement, understand? The sixth chapter also concluded with this statement. There is no need to say that Bhagavan was, he was already talking. Just for some of you understand this difference is that Lord is already talking. You see, when do you need to say that Sri Bhagavan Avata, that Lord said, when he was interrupted by somebody, when Arjuna says something, and then again Lord starts speaking, then you say, Arjuna Vacha, Sri Bhagavan Vacha. But the sixth chapter, the discourse in fact ended with the statement of the Lord, 
And seventh chapter begins also with the Lord. So there's no need to interrupt and say that the blessed Lord said because they've been saying. But the reason why this is being said is because there is a change of subject matter. And that is why to separate the subject matter, the seventh chapter also is said to open with the statement of the Lord. So let us read the first verse here. Shri Bhagavan Vacha Maya Saktamanaf Partha Yogam Yunjan Madashraya Asam Shayam Samagram Yathagnya Sesitachuna Shri Bhagavan Vacha the Blessed Lord said, Shri, Shri means here Brahma Vidya. So, Lord endowed with Brahma Vidya, He said. So, seventh chapter begins with the Lord's statement. Interestingly enough, without any question being asked on the part of Arjuna. Arjuna has not asked any question. And still, the Lord is saying that, thinking that, knowing that these questions would have arisen in Arjuna's mind. So, what questions would be there in Arjuna's mind? Based on what was said at the end of the sixth chapter, as I said, would raise some questions. When you say that, when you become my devotee, O Lord, who is, who is any, what's the nature of you, O Lord? You say that, my mind should be focused on you, how do I focus my mind? So, Lord Krishna, knowing that these questions would have arisen in the mind of Arjuna, begins the discourse by answering those questions. <coughs> Otherwise, the rule is that you should not say this, you should not generally impart this teaching unless you are asked. You should not take the initiative of telling people about Brahma Vidya, about, you know, without being asked. Because it Sometimes it doesn't serve a purpose or it can serve the opposite purpose also. You must determine whether the person whom you are going to say is interested in listening or not. He is interested or not. Is it useful to him or not? And then alone this kind of a discourse should be given. This Upadesha should not be given without being asked. And some of you may have the experience also that sometimes we attend these classes and having heard the Swami you are so inspired, you know, that you are just ready to share it with somebody. Whoever comes, you start just pouring out, you know. And that fellow has no interest at all. It's quite possible. So the rule is this, na prushtaha kasachit bruyat. One should not say this to anybody unless asked for. If somebody wants to know. If somebody shows a genuine desire to know, and also asks with all the humility, then certainly you should do, you should share this. Even if somebody asks, but you find that behind the asking there is no humility or is actually trying to test you or question you or the intention is not to learn, some other intention is there, then also you are not obliged to tell them. Number one, this should not be told unless asked for. Number two, even if asked for, if that question is not in, in a fair manner, sometimes people have nothing else to talk about. So then there's a, you know, what, what went on in the class? You know? What was the Swami talking about? He's not interested. Many people ask the questions, you know. They leave you to give the answers and they are in some other place. They ask you a question, you know, because it's good. I guess it's sort of, it's, it's, it's an etiquette or whatever it is. Or just to have conversation. They ask you a question. In all enthusiasm, you know, you start answering the question, you know. This fellow is no interest at all. He's just waiting for me to finish so he can ask another question. That's all. <laughs> it happens, does happen. And if he... If you are not sensitive or if you are not watchful, then you can be just saying something before a stone because it doesn't matter to the person. However, this should be stored only to the one who has a genuine interest. And before you, before you start talking about it, you should determine whether or not such an interest is there, otherwise keep quiet. 
But Swamiji, I know, this fellow is asking when I know, and still you need not say. Jananapihi medhavi jadaval lokamacharet. This wise person, even if he knows, he should behave as though he does not know anything. As though he is a fool, you know. Ask the question, I did not hear. I ask the question, I don't understand what you mean. I don't have an answer. Sort of. Meaning that the sanctity of this knowledge or sanctity of this should be maintained. And it should only be passed on to the person who is deserving, the person who is interested. So we would expect that Lord Krishna also would not start his discourse unless Arjuna wants, expresses a desire to know. And still Lord Krishna has started the discourse in seventh chapter without Arjuna's question. So then is Lord Krishna uh, sort of not following the code of conduct or what? But then again that same Manusmriti says, that gurus who are always compassionate and kind, they should they should reach out to the the disciple. And so guru is always very kind of a disciple. And so guru knows what is in the mind of the disciple, and thus he can take the initiative and tell whatever the disciple needs to know. Even if he doesn't ask a question, the guru feels that he needs to know something, he should go ahead and tell them. Because he knows that he is the right person. Here also Lord Krishna knows that Arjuna needs to know this. In order to fulfill the, uh, fulfill the, the requirements which are stated in the last verse of the sixth chapter, Arjuna needs to know this and therefore he himself comes forward with this discourse, says, Maya Saktamanaha Partha Yogam Yunjan Madashraya Asamshayam Samagramam Yathagnyasari Tachuna. The second line says Asamshayam Samagramam Yathagnyasasi. Yathagnyasasi, as you will know. Maam, as you will know me. Asamshayam, without a doubt. Tachuna. Here you know. Listen to this from me, as to how you will know me without any doubt at all. And when will that happen? When will Arjuna or anybody else will know the Lord without any doubt? When what is stated in the first line, these conditions are satisfied. So the first line, three things are stated. Maya Saktamanaha Yogam Yunjan Madashraya. Hey Partha, hey Arjuna, may you become like this. Mai Asakta Manaha. May you become the one whose manaha, whose mind is asaktam, is attached to me, is totally devoted to me. So may you become one who is attached to me. Attachment to the Lord. So in bhakti attachment is important. The Vedandins, Vedandins talk about the detachment always, you know. They talk of vairagya, the person is detached from everything. Because the Advaita Vedanta talks about the knowledge of the very self. Knowing Ishvara, knowing Brahman is my own self. And therefore there it is required that my attention is totally directed to the self. And that can happen when at the exclusion of everything else. When I am told detached from everything else, then only the mind becomes totally focused upon the self. And there it is to discover how the self that I am is Brahman. Thus, Advaita or non-duality means knowing Ishvara as one's own self. And therefore, total detachment even from, even from Saguna Brahma, even from God who is omniscient, omnipotent, detachment even from that. So, therefore, in pursuit of knowledge of knowing self as Brahman, what is most important is detachment. In worshipping God, on the other hand, attachment is important. Mai asakta manaha, may you attach to me. Meaning that, may you become detached from everything else and be attached to me. Attached to me, who is God? Who, am, who are you, Lord? That Lord Himself will tell who I am. Lord Krishna will say that I am the creator, I am the sustainer, I am the dissolver, I am the material cause, I am the efficient cause, 
I am the creator as well as the one who is manifest as a creation. Lord Krishna will say that the whole universe is nothing but my manifestation. It is the, my glory. Who am I? I am the creator and therefore I am all-knowing. I am almighty as well as omniscient. <coughs> that I am, as Lord, again with Lord Krishna will say, I am the very father, I am the mother, I am the grandfather of the whole universe. I am the well-wisher of everybody. I am the refuge of everyone. So, to me, may you have attachment for me, who is such. So, when Lord Krishna uses the word me, or I in Bhagavad Gita, it is not in the sense of a person or individual. Although it depends upon who is interpreting this, of course. And therefore, if an Acharya who is a devotee of Lord Krishna, he will interpret I as Lord Krishna. Meaning, as son of Vasudeva. Others interpret the word I as Narayana. If, Ram, if Ramanujacharya interprets this, Vishishta Advaita, then the I will be what? Narayana. Chaturbhuja. One who is in Vaikuntha. If Madhvacharya interprets this, then he will say, I means Lord Krishna. The other Acharyas, Vallabhacharya, etc., for them, I means Lord Krishna. Go to Iskon. These con people always talk about the Godhead, Supreme Godhead. And who is he? None but Lord Krishna, the son of Vasudeva, or son of Devaki Vasudeva, or son of Nanda and Yashoda. So, that is what is meant by I. There are lots of debates about what is meant by I. Well, Lord Krishna says, may be attached to me. Which me? Because there is one Lord Krishna sitting right there as a charioteer of Arjuna. Right there. That is also Lord. There is Lord in Dwarika with four arms, that is also Lord. So what is the concept of Ishwara that Bhagavad Gita presents? Bhagavad Gita presents the concept of Ishwara not as an individual entity, not as somebody's son, not as living in some particular place, not having particular attributes, but the one who has all the attributes, one who is all-pervasive, one who is the self of all, one who is the supporter of all. As Lord Krishna says, Gama Vishya Bhutani Dharayami Ahamojasa. Entering this universe, I sustain the whole universe by my power. Yada Ripte Gadam Tejaha Jagad Bhasayade Hiram Yachandramasi Yachagnav Tat Tejo Vidhimamakam. Here, you know, the light which is in the sun and the moon and the fire know that to be my light. I am the one, I am the consciousness that illumines the whole world. I am the very existence that sustains the entire universe. So Lord presents as the one who sustains the universe, that is called Sat. One who illumines the whole universe, that is called Chit. I am Satchit Ananda, the sustainer, the illuminator of the whole universe. So that is what is meant by I. Here the word I uses the sense of Saguna Brahma. Saguna Brahma is Brahman a Lord with all the attributes. is one who is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. May asaktamanaha. May you become one whose mind is attached to this. Attached to me. Devoted to me. Who loves me. But Swami, how can you, how can you love God like that? You can love. That is the reason why this specific names and forms are given to us. So it becomes easier for us to love. So Lord Krishna, you know, when that beautiful form is there before us with a, with a flute and everything, is very adorable and it's easy to love, easy to relate. So that may become the first step. The first step may be what we call Ishta Devata. In that form the Lord, which is chosen by me, which is for which, for whom, I have that love and devotion and reverence, who invokes from me the devotion. So when I hear the name of Rama, automatically, I mean, Rama means the Lord in a certain form. Krishna means the Lord in a certain form. So reason why these forms are given to us is, Maya Saktamaraha, it is easier for us to, be, to discover attachment for them, love for them. It may take some time to discover attachment for the Lord who is omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. 
therefore, but what is meant here is, you discover an attachment for me, you discover a love for me, who is a creator, sustainer, dissolver. Not only that, we are not interested in the creator, sustainer, dissolver. Let him do his job. So what, what, what does he have to do in our life? We can be attached only when we have something to do with him. Does he care for me? Does he have any place in my life? Says, yes, Surdam Sarabhutanam, I am the well-wisher of all the living beings. I am the well-wisher of all of you. Pitaham Asya Jagataha, Mata Dhata Pitamaha. I am the father, I am the mother, I am the grandfather. I am the very refuge, I am the well-wisher. I am that unseen hand which always guides you, which always takes care of you. So thus, in order to discover the attachment from the Lord, we have to know the Lord also. That is how jnana of the knowledge becomes a means for bhakti. There is some kind of knowledge which becomes a means for bhakti, and bhakti then becomes a means of the knowledge also. So it is necessary to know the Lord to discover the bhakti or the attachment for the Lord. Mai asaktamanaha, may you become attached to me. Yogam yunjan, may you serve me. Madasreha, may you accept me as ashreya, may you accept me as a refuge. When you do this, then you'll be able to know me without any doubt, exactly as I am. So, we'll continue our discussion, but then the first verse proposes that, may you know me. Yathagnyasasi, and therefore the way you will know me. So ultimately knowing the Lord is the most important. But for knowing the Lord, these qualifications are required, and we'll see further, you know, what they mean. <coughs> Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyate Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo